All right, what book have we been studying? That's <laughs> Wednesdays. We are doing Titus on Wednesdays. So thank you, Cindy, for a commercial. Be here. This is our last Wednesday Bible study uh, for a while. So yeah, shameless plug. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll take that. So we have Titus on Wednesdays. Corinthians, that's right, First Corinthians specifically. So a couple of things about the church in Corinth. First of all, the city of Corinth, just as a reminder, was a very big commercial city. Hey, knock it off. Um, big commercial city. And it was kind of the sin city of its time. It was kind of like all our, you know, Vegas and Hollywood and New York all rolled into one. It was a very worldly city. And the church there in Corinth thought that they were super spiritual. They thought that they were very, very spiritually mature, and they thought of themselves to be really spiritual. And Paul writes them and tells them, like, you're not as spiritual as you think you are. You're actually behaving more worldly than spiritual. And they had a bunch of problems in the church. Does anyone remember some of the problems we talked about? Division, that's what we've mostly been talking about. They're getting... They were uh, getting drunk during the Lord's Supper, right? They had some sexual sin going on in the congregation. They, they were using their gifts in a way, like uh, we'll get into gifts later, but they were using their gifts like speaking in tongues and these things to kind of like put themselves on a platform and kind of like check me out, check out what, I, what I'm doing. And so Paul's letting them know, like, hey, you guys are, you're not being spiritual. You're being and acting like the world. And one of the main messages of this is if true spirituality comes through Christ, it's not us. True spirituality, to be truly spiritual, is only possible through Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people out here who say, I'm a very spiritual person and all of these things. But to be truly spiritual in the right sense of the word, you may be doing spiritual things. You could be uh, worshiping the devil would be a spiritual activity. But to be truly spiritual in God's sense of the word, only can happen through Jesus Christ. It doesn't even happen through our own effort, our own work. It's what Christ does. Christ makes us spiritual. So we're going to cover chapter four today. And just a review of these, uh, the chapters. So I'm going to just read this. In chapter one, he reminds them, hey, you're God's people. You are saved and kept by Christ. So even though you're worldly, you're Christ. You're Christ's children. Uh, however, you are divided over God's servants. Let your boasting be about God and Christ, not men. Remember, they're like, uh, I followed, I'm following Paul, I'm following Apollos, I'm following Peter. And then there's this other group like, well, you guys are all losers because I'm following Jesus. And they were just kind of making it about who they were choosing to follow. And he said, hey, you guys are divided. That's not spiritual. And then he says, we, we were simply bringing you a message of Christ. Not with impressive words. In other words, it's God's power. And remember, it's up at the top, worldly wisdom and power versus godly wisdom and power. And what he's telling them is true power comes through a transformed life. And he's letting them know God's power transform your life. Not these teachers, not our fancy words, not our great sermons. God transformed your life. And I just want you to be thinking about that. Something I've been thinking a lot about lately is God wants to bring transformation many of us have experienced salvation 
and maybe some transformation, but God wants us to experience salvation and continual transformation. Is he transforming you? How is your life being transformed? And then uh, last week we talked about he's basically saying, hey, we're God's servants. We're just planters, waters, foundation layers, builders. God and Christ are the ones that are important. We're just servants. So that's where he's kind of leaving off today. We're going to cover chapter four. This is, I think, one of the first times we've ever been able to cover whole chapters. So you usually get stuck at like three verses at a time. So we, I know we're going fast, but I feel like it's to help us keep the big picture in mind. And one of the things we're going to be talking about today is whose approval are you living for? Are you living for God's approval? Are you living for man's approval? Just think about that. Uh, and we've talked a lot about that in here at different times, but I think it's kind of a convicting thought of how much we probably live more for man's approval than we would like to admit. So I don't know if you can see this, this is kind of goofy little meme here. The first one says, son, one day you'll grow up to be a man. LOL, dad, I'm 29. Yeah, but you're still obsessed with what others think about you. And I think we may kind of think like, yeah, you grow out of that. You grow out about caring. It used to be about, oh, you got goofy shoes. <laughs> but uh, you know, whatever the way you dress, or oh, you listen to that band, or oh, you said this in uh, science class, you're, you're a loser, whatever. But the, the reality of, of it is when we kind of get older, it just changes things. The car you drive. And maybe you're a little embarrassed to show up in the car you drive. I know we've had some cars. I'm embarrassed to show up in. It's a different place to zen. Uh, the little Honda we had, and it helped us get out of the Honda into a Malibu that Carly wrecked. Uh, but before that, that little Honda, you know, it's like the paint's peeling off. And it's kind of one of those things that when you pull into a parking lot, you're kind of maybe judging the person that gets out of that car a little bit and kind of like, Ugh, they don't quite have it together. You know, let's park a couple of spaces down. But we don't really grow out of it. We, or maybe it's the job you have, or maybe it's uh, your looks, but you're concerned. We do get concerned. I wish we grew out of it, but a lot of times it just changes. It's, we're worried about different things. And then just kind of the reality of what it looks like in everyday life, like it plagues us in the smallest thing. This is one of those things you probably have on these conversations. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Whatever you want to do, what's up to you? I'm open to anything. What are you What are you in the mood for? I don't know, but well, how about you? I feel like it's goofy, but even these little things, it's like we're afraid to kind of put ourselves out there and to say something. Um, and I feel like uh, many of us are like this next thing, even though we don't really want to be like this, but this is us. Do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked. But it's not like this compulsive need to be liked. Like, I need to be praised. So, I mean, I know that you probably, many of you have seen that clip, and it's kind of comical. Sometimes, you know, we, Carly and I will refer to that, just kind of call ourselves out like, yeah, why do I even care what so-and-so thinks? What am I even thinking about? But the reality is a lot of us care. And then I want to kind of just kind of talk through a few other questions and we'll dive into the passage. 
But some of us say we don't care what other people think. And I used to think this. I used to think like, no, I, I really don't care what people think. And that was true to a degree. And the former pastor, because I would say this kind of thing, like, I honestly don't care. I don't care what people think. And I, I thought that that was true. But then when I started to realize, like, how do I, what happens inside of me if someone doesn't acknowledge me or show me respect? or someone degrades me in front of another person, or I be, does something to make me look foolish or weak, am I able to just walk away and go like, I really don't care? So someone calls me a bunch of names in front of somebody and I just walk away and go like, I don't really care, that's fine. I, that doesn't hurt my feelings, it doesn't make me mad. I don't need to justify myself. Is that really true? I, I can get so mad going to a fast food restaurant and going up to the thing, and they're just like visiting with each other back there, hanging out and not saying like, sir, I'll be right with you. Or uh, excuse me, hang on just a second. All of a sudden, I'm like, don't you know who I am? Greet me. And even that just goes like, why do I even care? If I really don't care, I shouldn't care that I'm not being respected right there. So I feel like there's even a switch for some of us who think like, I really don't care. And there, to a degree, I don't. But if push comes to shove, there's a part of me that wants to be given due respect. What, is so, what are some ways that being a people pleaser, a approval addict, manifests itself in our everyday lives? Can you think of any? Not willing to stand upright if it means rejection? Chasing the name brand? Yeah, maybe worrying about what you're what you're doing. I don't know in the in the motorcycle in the biker world, but you got your Harley, and then what would be something a little bit embarrassing? A guy shows up on his uh, everything. <laughs> Goes up. What are those little Italian scooters called? Vespa. <laughs> you're like, okay, all right. So yeah, what you what you go after, what you pursue, what else? Or some ways that it manifests itself. People, please, yeah, yeah. What about just even getting ready? Uh, people, you let people take advantage of you. You don't. Maybe you have a hard time saying no because you don't want to offend anybody. So you're like, yeah, I can do that. And you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do that. Yeah. Dressing, working out, what we eat, how we spend our time, a lot of those things, it's like it's kind of woven into us, into our personalities. And then kind of just kind of the deeper thing, what do you think is at the root of that? Why? Why is this even an issue? Low self-esteem, okay. Fear of rejection. Pride. want to be accepted by everybody so i completely agree with all those but here's the other side of that coin that i will think i think it's because we're not satisfied enough or don't trust and believe enough in god's approval of us because if i'm like it doesn't matter god approves me i'm living for his approval but for us i think we can, we don't really minimize that so we end up wanting to build ourselves up we end up fearful we end up doing all of these things we have afraid of being rejected. And so just kind of a thought on that. So I'm going to read 
on a few of these slides because there's so much trying to go through a whole chapter that I feel like it's going to be just easier for me rather than rambling. It'll keep me on track. So I apologize for reading. Just so you know, when you do a presentation, this is one of the things they tell you to never do, ever, ever. You don't put something up on just read what you put up on the thing. I realize I'm breaking a rule, but I'm, I'm doing that because I don't really care what anyone thinks. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, just kidding. I, if I really didn't care what anyone think, I wouldn't have had to just explain that to you. In today's passage, we see Paul wasn't living there for the Corinthians' approval. He reminded them he was a servant of God and was living for God's approval. That's what we're talking about today. He reminded them that the Corinthians' high opinion of individual teachers didn't really matter. Like, it doesn't matter if you think Paul's so great or Apollos is so great. What actually mattered is what God thought of his servants. And so when we're talking about what's truly spiritual, if you want to be truly spiritual, it means living for God's approval and not for other people's approval. And our first point is God sees what others can't. So here's the passage, or the beginning of the passage. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ. Check this out. He's saying servants of Christ, stewards of the mystery, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And so the idea here is like, we're servants. We're God's servants. We're servants. What's important is being faithful. Not famous, faithful. And that's something for us to take home. If we want to live for God's approval, it's important for us to focus on being faithful. And here's kind of what he says about that. With me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or even by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. So what he's saying is, I don't really care what you Corinthians think. I don't care what a court thinks. I don't really put too much stock in what I think of myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. So in other words, he's saying like, the, and you've maybe done this before in your own mind. Man, am I doing everything right? Am I living okay? Yeah, I can't, I can't see anything big right now. I can't see anything that I could be holding against myself, or I, I don't see anything I'm doing wrong. And he says, that's not what makes me justified, because I can clear myself in my own eyes. I don't even trust my own judgment of myself, he's saying, because I can't see things clearly. I can't even see my own self clearly. I don't think other people can see me clearly. But what I care about is God can see. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. So he mentions two things here. And I feel like sometimes we get a little paranoid about this. God bringing to light all the hidden things. If we went around this room, there would be a load of sin that people would be ashamed if we put your name and picture and sin from the past year up on that board. You'd be like, no, that's hidden. I don't talk about that. I don't want anyone to know about that. I barely even like talking to God about that. It's hidden. Those things are going to be brought to light. And here's the idea of being faithful. When you're faithful, you're living in a way that even your private life, your secret life, is for God's glory. You're not dressing it all up here for other people, but even your hidden things, your hidden life is about living life faithfully for God. It doesn't even matter if it's seen or unseen. 
the, the things you do in the shadows, the things you do during the week, the things you do that no one sees, you're doing those things for God. And here's the other thing he says, and it will reveal the counsel of hearts. So God sees hidden things and heart things. When you're living for God, you're not just even worried about the stuff you're doing. You're concerned about those inward attitudes, the pride, the lust, the greed, the selfishness that maybe no one else sees. You could have it all together on the outside, and you could show up to all the church work days we ever had, and you're serving here, but maybe it's all to get a little pat on the back. And God's going, I'm going to reveal the hard stuff too. You're going to be judged based on the heart stuff, the hidden stuff and the heart stuff. It doesn't really matter what everybody else sees. So what he's saying here is he's like, I'm working for God who sees the stuff that other people can't see. And so here are kind of the ideas. How do we live for God more than man's approval? By being faithful publicly, privately, and personally. Living to be faithful, not just in front of people. We do want to do that, but the stuff that no one sees, the secret things, do you, do you want to make sure, even if you do some serving, I talked to a pastor a few weeks ago, and he, uh, he kind of ratted himself out on purpose. He was, he, he's a really cool guy. I like him a lot. He was talking to me, and he said, Hey, what did you think when I said this or that? And I was like, oh, I thought it was really cool. He's like, because another guy called me out. He was a pastor who's no longer a pastor. And he went and helped out at this other church. And he was finding anything he could do. Pick up trash, stack chairs, all this. And so as he's kind of talking about that, like, yeah, I went and showed up. And I helped him stack chairs and this and that. He's like, what did you think of that? And I was like, well, I thought it was really cool you're doing that stuff. I think that's really cool. He's like. One of my former elders called me out on it and said, the reason I'm telling everybody about it is because I want everyone to know how awesome of a servant and humble of a servant I am. He's like, and I think he's right. And I feel like we have to remember that God sees those things that no one sees. God sees what's going on in our heart. And to live for God's approval means that we're not worried about what others are seeing, but we're thinking about what does this look like before God? You with me? God sees things differently than we do. Is scriptures tell us like who has the mind of God? Like we don't think the same, but also see things differently. This is a long chunk of passage. So I'm going to take my time, go through it and explain it a little bit. He says, now these things, brethren, I've figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake. So in other words, I've given myself and Apollos as an example that you may learn in us not to think Beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. Four, who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? In other words, what he's saying is, hey, you've got a Paul, you've got a Paulus, you've got Peter. All of these things that you're boasting about are gifts from God. They were given to you by God. It's not your own doing that gave you these ministers, these servants. And now you're teaming up behind them like, I'm so great because I chose this servant and that servant. He's going, no, no, no. The glory doesn't belong to any man. The glory belongs to God. And then he's being ironic here. He's kind of what he's doing here in this next little chunk is he's being ironic. And he's saying, 
the people you're bragging about, the people, the, these teachers and all the people you're putting up on a pedestal and bragging about are actually living kind of what the life that a lot of people would call losers. Like here, Paul, Apollos, all of us are servants. And you think you're all big, big shots. And then you're trying to make it like we're so, we're big spiritual superstars. He's like, the people who are actually in the trenches doing the work are living humble, degrading lives. Let's read it. So he's kind of making fun of them in a way. You are already full. You're already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we might also reign with you. But I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Do you see what he's doing here? He's being ironic. And he's like, okay, big shots. You guys are a bunch of spiritual big shots, right? Well, the very apostles are living lives of foolishness. That they, they look like fools to the other people. They are a laughing stock to, to even angels and men living condemned life. And he says, to the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. That's a picture of suffering. Isn't it? Hunger, thirst, poorly clothed, eaten, and homeless. This is the servants of God. They're suffering. They're not big shots. They're running around with this great reputation. Their reputation's in the toilet. They're suffering. Life isn't easy for them. But yet, They're not saving the same. I need a paycheck. They're working with their hands. And so here we see this is what I would say suffering. Yes, this is serving. Uh, 
apps for God's servants that everyone's boasting about we're living like low lives and nobodies. God's economy is flipped. God sees things differently. He judges things differently. He thinks about things differently. The things that are important to him uh, are, are not important to us. Typically speaking, he cares about what we care about. So for us, if we're broke, everything's bad. That's a tragedy. That's a crisis. That's time to worry. And God's saying, I'm not concerned so much about your broke situation. I do care about that. That is important to me. But what am I, what's happening in your heart? Are you trusting? Are you resting in me? Is your hope in money or in me? There's a different economy when it comes to God's view. So here I just explained to you, they were, they were suffering. They were sacrificing. They were giving up things. That's why they were hungry, thirsty, poor, working with their own hands. Uh, and so just kind of that idea of humbly serving to the point of sacrifice. I think about myself. And typically, I, I don't, I, I want to serve. Not all the time. I mean, we got to be honest. But generally speaking, like, I like the idea of serving. But to the point of sacrifice, not so much. If I have to give something up, I'm not as inclined to want to serve. It's easy when it's like, okay, we're going to have donuts and work day and just come out, hang out Saturday. There'll be pizza after that. and. Get to hang out with your friends. and But if, if it's all of a sudden going to cost me some things that I really want, and I have to say no to a bunch of stuff I want, I'm not as likely to want to do that kind of serving. And the kind of serving that these people did was to the point of sacrifice. To the world, that may look foolish, but God sees that as different. So living for God's approval motivates us to be humble, sacrificial, servants you want to live for god's approval be a servant that's humble and make sacrifices what does the world say to do the world says you don't be humble you have confidence in yourself you better have high self-esteem about yourself you better look at yourself and be proud of who you are right be proud of where you've gotten. Be proud that you're hanging there. Be proud that you're not in the situation that these other folks are in. The world tells us, don't make sacrifices. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Or you can make some sacrifices as long as you got your nest egg built up. Get your nest egg built up. A little bigger than what you think it needs to be. And then you make some sacrifices. And you don't really serve. The world says you don't serve. You get to that point where you are served. Right? That's how the world sees things. The world sees things the exact opposite. And you're like, well, I wouldn't really want to be served. I can guarantee you if I offered to, that you would have someone to come clean your house and a personal assistant to do all your stuff, a chef at your house, so you'd be like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, so here's the deal. Instead of that, you're going to make some sacrifices and become somebody else's personal assistant and chef and go clean their house and do their laundry and do those things. Like, nah, I don't know if God would really want me to do that and use my time like that. Like that seems like a bad use of my time because we think like the world thinks. God does not see things the way man sees things. 
our last point this morning is God cares more about our works than our words. He says, I do not write these things to shame you. So he kind of was kind of making fun of them a little bit. I wouldn't know if I'd, that's probably not a Bible scholar wouldn't use that words, but just in our waves, he's kind of like, back in the old days, we'd say putting him on blast, you know, kind of like, like eh, you think you're all that and put yourself up on this pedestal? Well, here, us God's servants are making sacrifices. He's like, I don't want to shame you. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I don't want to humiliate you. But as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you might have an Apollos, you might have a Peter, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. And so what he's saying is, I'm the one who came and gave you the message of Christ. I am your spiritual father. And Paul uses this phrase in different uh, places in scripture. And one of them, uh, like here, he's going to talk about disciplining. I'm like, I don't want to have to come give you a spanking. I do not want to do that. You're going to see in just a second. Others, he says, I look at the church as my daughter. I want to present her to her husband, pure and chaste. And so Paul really does have this, as a pastor, this idea this idea of being a father and loving the people that he's ministering to. And he says, I don't want to come. I'm not trying to humiliate you. I don't want to embarrass you. I want to talk to you as a father. I love you. I care about you. He says, for this reason, I sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who remind you of my ways in Christ and teach them everywhere in the church. He's saying, as your dad, I want you to remember what it looks like the ways in Christ, how to live the life of Christ, how to keep it about Jesus Christ. You've seemed to have got off track, so I care about you as a father. I'm going to send you one of my guys to help you get back on track, to teach you, to remind you. And he says, now some are puffed up, big-headed, arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. These are the big talkers, right? But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. So we know that saying, shut up or put up, right? He's kind of going, hey, you're a lot of big talk. A lot of big talk happening over in Corinth. I'm going to show up. He says, but the kingdom of God is not in word. It's not in all your talk, but it's in power. We'll explain that in a minute. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod? That means a paddle. Do you want me to show up there with the paddle? I don't know how many of you guys got spanked as a, a kid. When I was in school, we still got paddled. I got paddled a few times with the big in the principal's office paddle. Uh, not a lot, but enough. That, uh, you know, just that idea, like, do you want to go down? Do you want to get a paddling? Do you want to spank him? Like, no, I don't want that at all. He said, or shall I come to you in love and a spirit of gentleness? So he's basically saying here, I'm going to come. And we're going to really see what's happening. All your talk isn't going to mean a lot. I want to see your walk. So as we talk about this, he's telling them uh, that they still, they become big headed and self-inflated. And he didn't want to have to humiliate or reprimand them for this when he visited. Instead, he wanted their time to be marked by fellowship and gentleness. If you have kids, that's what you want, right? If you have to, you're going to spank them. 
might be happening today. It's just kidding. She's past the spanking stage. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, Mark, I so you want, as a parent, you want there to be just a sweet, like, say, let's hang out. Let's have a good time. I don't want to have to correct you, but I will correct you. And the thing he's going to correct them for is if they're just a bunch of talk and they're not living transformed lives. There's no power in their life. So in order for this to happen, they need to follow his example, living humbly with their eyes focused on Christ. He's going to send Timothy to help them. And I just want to make this point about ruling, Christ ruling in our hearts. So the kingdom of God here, I believe, in different places, it represents the millennial kingdom. And I, I believe here what he's talking about is Christ ruling in our hearts. That's more than just big religious wise words, because that's what these guys liked. It does not make you spiritual if you've got a spiritual vocabulary. You may be able to explain all kind of complicated theological terms. You may be able to have a bunch of verses memorized. You may be able to tell me the difference between eschatology and ecclesiology. You may know a bunch of Greek terms. You may have a bunch of fancy arguments or cool or clever sayings. That's not so much what God's looking at. What he wants is Christ ruling in our hearts. He wants to see the power, the activity, the action of Christ in us. When Christ rules, we don't need to impress people with our talk, right? You can have someone talk, 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 religious talk, talk a bunch of Bible stuff. But you know what really is beautiful? When you see someone's desires, attitude, disposition, character lived out in Christ. Recently, uh, one of my desires, and it's becoming a bigger and bigger desire, and I hope God helps keep this a desire, and I don't mess it up or get off track, but I want to live the abundant life. I want to live the abiding life. I want to live a transformed life. I don't want to live a Christian life in the sense that I follow a bunch of Christian rules. I want to walk into a situation that's not peaceful and have true peace because of Christ living in me and through me. I want to walk into a situation that might be difficult or strenuous or sad and have some kind of deep spiritual joy. Not goofy, happy, silly, but to have I am joyful. There's something supernatural happening in me. I want someone to stand at a counter at the fast food thing and disrespect me and me be able to look at that person and have a genuine heart and response of love. That's power. It doesn't matter what I say up here. That is loud. That's powerful. That's the kind of life I want. And that's only possible through the life of Jesus Christ. It's not possible in our own effort. It's not possible by learning a bunch of Bible phrases and studying your Bible day in and day out. That may be part of a combination of things, but it's only because you study your Bible and you learn Christ and you're relying on Christ. And as we rely on Christ and go, I can't do this. I can't be the guy who walks up and has a gentle, loving response to this guy unless I'm relying on Christ to do that because I just don't have it in me. And I don't. And I don't think either anyone here does either. Or to have peace in the middle of a financial crisis, that's supernatural. 
And that's what Paul's saying here. When Christ is ruling in your heart, the kingdom of God is not in a bunch of talk. It's in something supernatural happening. And that supernatural happens. And I can't quite, I don't have it, but I get little glimpses of it here and there, little micro tastes of it. And I'm like, I want that. I want the peace of God that passes understanding. When I look around at the world, I don't want to be fretting. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be, uh, what's the word where you're kind of like sarcastic, uh, uh, cynical. I don't want to be cynical. I want to be loving and hopeful, joyous. And I'm saying I, 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 but I want that for all of us. And that's what God wants for all of us. And when Christ rules in our hearts, that is what will happen. So living for God's approval motivates us to live strong, loving examples who look at others with spiritual eyes. So kind of a go like, so what do we need to remember? Like, okay, that was a, there's a lot, covered a lot of verses. We need to remember to look to Christ. I think that's what Paul keeps telling these guys. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Let Christ rule in your heart. Christ is the key to being spiritual. One, remember the approval that God has already given you. You know, Jesus Christ died on the cross. We're going to celebrate communion. I'm moving into communion here. So if you could kind of be gearing yourself up for communion, thinking. Communion is a time to remember what Christ has done. Christ has cleared the decks of all the sin, all the separation, and given you relationship and connection with God. As we celebrate communion, he was forsaken so we could be accepted. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He experienced that and the wrath of the Father put on him because he was carrying our son, our sins, so we could live accepted to God. Get your eyes on Christ and remember, Christ has made you accepted by God. You don't need anyone else's approval. Remember his example. All these are things we just talked about today. Who better embodied all these things? We talked about faithfulness. We talked about humility. We talked about sacrificial service. We talked about being a strong, loving example. We talked about being transformed by yielding to his rulership in our heart. Jesus Christ is the one who has done that and can do that in us and through us. So as we celebrate communion, I encourage you just to put your heart set on the grace of God the gifts of God. This isn't about what we do or what we have done. It's about what Jesus Christ has done and can do and wants to do in us. His death has brought us salvation. His ongoing life can give us transformation. He doesn't want a bunch of Bible conversation. He wants a bunch of supernatural transformation. That's what he wants in our life, power seeing demonstrated with God working in us and that's only possible through Christ and I just want to encourage you I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ there are maybe some people here who are like yeah I'm just you know I think I'm a pretty good person I'm doing my best I come to church I'm, I'm learning that's not what Christ says he says you need to trust that I am the one that took care of your sins on the cross. I have paid the price. Trust in what I have done. And you may be here going, I'm trying to live this Christian life. I have, I know I have the gift of salvation, but man, I'm trying. Remember, in Christ, he wants to live through you. 
He will live through you. It's possible for you to experience supernatural transformation, even in those hidden things you don't want anyone to know about. He can do that. That's why right now we're going to take a little bit of time to remember him. He says, do this in remembrance of me. We're going to take some time to remember, allow our hearts, minds to be focused, appreciative to Jesus Christ, because none of this matters without him. None of it. This is all a waste of time without what Christ has done and is able to do in us. It's all about him. So Carly's going to come up and play. When you're ready, the elements are going to be on the back table. When you're ready, you can go back and get those. When I think everyone's gotten those that wants them, we'll take the elements together.